I, I called today's message my purpose. And I don't know if you've ever had this in the organizations that you've worked for before, but we would go away. I would set time aside and take the team away. And we'd spend time with the team discussing what our DNA is. What is it that we are? What is our mission statement? And we'd do it as a team so that everybody could be on the same song sheet. So there's a form of unity when you've been part of the conversation and you've been giving of yourself in sharing what it is we're going to be doing, uh, what it is that we do. And so I think that having a purpose is an important thing, but even more so when you're a Christian. And so if I, if I had to ask you, what is your purpose in life? What would you answer? What is your purpose? You know, uh, a, lo a lot of people would say to succeed at X. Others might suggest that I'd like to earn Y or own Y. And others might say, I'd like to do. And so the, the, the common theme in these responses is that they, they each are descriptions of doing something. But the funny thing is that we are human beings, not human doings. We, we are believers, not do-leavers. And so we, somewhere we've got this whole thing mixed up. So in trying to find what our purpose is, I thought, let's go to Scripture and see what Scripture says. So, who should we look at? How about Paul? Well, I, I think Paul is the perfect example for why you feel you lack purpose. Because when you look at all he accomplished, he was the, God's messenger to the Gentiles. He was a prolific church planter. He wrote more books in the New Testament than anyone else. His contribution to our faith is enormous. So you'd have to say he definitely had purpose. And so when we look at Paul's life, it maybe actually makes us feel a bit inferior. But what I'd like to do this morning is just break it down into small little chunks so that you can see it's not a complicated message. God didn't want you to be awed by this enormous task because it's not an enormous task. God's purpose for you is actually quite simple. So let's have a look at it. In Philippians 3.12, Paul writes, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. For that which Christ... You, you should go to this verse and underline that. Because do you, you know that every one of us here has been taken hold of by Jesus? And you know why? For that. Do you know what that is? And then, um, <clears throat> when you read that, you, you, you'd have to say, Paul has a sense of purpose here, surely. I'm taking hold of that for which there's a purpose. That which Christ took hold of me, that's why 
That's my purpose. Paul has a sense of purpose. And then further on, he wrote to the Philippians in verse 8. He wrote, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. He counts everything else as a loss. Paul's purpose, his overriding purpose, was to know Jesus. And if we go to verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him unto death. Now this is a a nasty verse, really, because we like part of it. We really like the part of the power of his resurrection. I think we do. I don't think we expect to see it or to experience it, but it sounds good. Resurrection power, that, that sounds pretty cool. But sharing his suffering, we're not too keen on that part. Well, I don't think so. So when things go wrong and you're suffering, you'd actually prefer to say, Lord, can you just stop this? I'd rather read about yours than sharing it. But I want to know the resurrection power of Jesus. Now, in, Paul, in Romans, Paul often refers to resurrection power. And we get that from the Holy Spirit. But I think it's missing. I, I, I don't see who, who can, with total conviction, say you've experienced resurrection power in your walk with Jesus. No one? There's something missing. And I think Paul did not miss that. He had that. He then goes on in verse 29 to say, predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now, the word word conformed actually means molded. So he's saying you need to be molded into the likeness of Jesus. And, and that image, that image, the likeness of his son, that likeness means image. So you need to be conformed to who and what Jesus is. So there's another beauty. <laughs> how, how, how do we feel about conforming to being like Jesus. You, you, you see, I, I'm totally convicted that if the church lived up to be the church, non-believers would recognize us. They would see something in us that they don't see in their own lives, in their own experiences. I, I, I believe that when that resurrection anointing is upon us, your face shine. Do you know that when, when the prophets of old came down with the word of God, they shone, that people had to look away. There was this reflection coming off them of God's presence. And, and I don't know, when you speak to people, um, a newscaster interviews a Christian, they're complaining about something that the world is doing instead of loving the world like Jesus does. 
Our lives are so busy pointing finger and blaming and trying to find someone who's responsible for whatever it is that bothers us instead of being so concerned in the knowledge of who Christ is and his resurrection power. So Paul understood his purpose and he understood ours. He said that we are to be molded into the image of his son. And so is your purpose, your reason for being on this planet, perhaps about leaving a legacy or making the world a better place? Well, those are good aspirations to have. They're excellent results having lived your life, having lived your life and, and looking back and saying, well, look what I've contributed to. Look, look, look what I've done. Even outcomes like serving God better or being a better disciple, all those things are doing things. And although they, they are good to have and to be able to have others recognize in your life, that's not what it's about. Let's return to what Paul said in the Philipp uh, to the Philippians. He said, I want to know Christ. That was Paul's foundational statement. And I believe it should be ours. Not to know about Jesus. Not to know about this person who walked this earth over 2,000 years ago. Not that person. Not the person who gets Easter eggs onto shelves. But know Jesus. Do you know him? Do you recognize in all that noise that comes through your ears every day, do you recognize that soft whisper from Jesus? You, you, you see, knowing someone... So there was a lady being interviewed on television on the news. And down in Esperance, we get regional news. So I don't know if you saw it. But on this regional news cast this lady was being interviewed and she there's a singer that was coming to Sydney and she is so nuts about her she's been saving and it took a whole month's salary to get a ticket to be there and she says I know her I know her and she can tell you where she was born what she does she can tell you everything about this films uh, this musician this singer she can tell you everything about her but does she know her? I don't think she knows her. She's never met her. So just because you've read about it and you've researched it and Google's told you a whole lot of stuff doesn't mean you know Jesus. Knowing him is a totally different thing. And, and I'm convinced that often we know of him, but we don't know him. Knowing Jesus starts with an incredible event in your Christian walk. And it's called a new birth. You're born again. You're born of the Spirit. And that's different because, you see, Jesus is Spirit. God is Spirit. And he sent his comforter, his Holy Spirit. And we then communicate Spirit to Spirit. And so if you have not had that opportunity to be born again then what I'm talking about now is really irrelevant. Because 
you cannot know God, who is a spiritual being, unless the Holy Spirit quickens us to know him. Having met Jesus spirit to spirit, we can then continue to get to know him better. And that's an ongoing process throughout all your lives. You don't just, okay, I know him now. I just got born again. So now I'm sorted. It actually doesn't work like that. It is a slow, ongoing process of refining of challenges, facing challenges, overcoming them, and becoming an overcomer in Christ. So therefore to know Jesus needs to be the first clause in your and my statement. Paul went on to write, becoming like him. So a lot of people who don't like the message of grace, because you see, we believe in a message of grace, the funny thing is, all you have to do is ask Jesus to wash your sins away. And he accepts you, just like that. You, you actually don't have to go and tick a whole lot of boxes. And this is what's so difficult about Christianity, is we would much prefer to have to go to this class, do this course, do this, be baptized, go to so many services, go and pray three times a day, at the local synagogue or the temple or whatever, we'd like to have all those boxes that we can tick. And then, you know what we want? We want to buy a T-shirt that's got all those boxes ticked so that everybody we walk past can see, hey, he's done it. He's got all the ticks. And we think that's it. But you see, it's not. Jesus' plan for us is once that relationship starts and that grace is expanded, and grace has been received, and you are totally, completely forgiven for all your sins. Not only those you committed yesterday, but those that are still coming. And what compounds the whole argument is, how can God just accept me? How can I be forgiven for some of the things I've said and done? You see, and often we don't even want to forgive ourselves. And, and so accepting Jesus wholeheartedly, this whole thing of knowing him requires us to become more like him every day through everything we learn out of the gospel. And as you spend time in the word of God and as you spend time reading, you're going to find, wow, I, ne I never thought of it like that. And, and all of a sudden, verses get highlighted in your Bible, because they really meant something to you then. And that helps you to know Jesus better. You see, uh, when, when I was much younger, <laughs> um, little bangles came out, and they had letters on them. What would Jesus do, abbreviated, so that we could confuse all the non-believers? And you didn't have to profess your faith because they w would never ask you what those letters stand for. So, But <clears throat> there's, there's so much truth in what would Jesus do because you have to know Jesus to know what he'd do in that circumstance. And mostly it would be not what you would plan to do. Mostly. So we're called to become 
as much like him in this life as we possibly can. And this means that our minds have to be transformed. And so in Romans 12 verse 2, and I'm reading from a New Living Testament, it says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do. And you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. We need our minds transformed. And it is critical. It is critical because if your mind is not transformed, you're still going to be thinking in the process that this world system has taught you since birth. And it is totally contrary to this upside-down kingdom that Jesus is teaching about. You see, he wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he said, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You, you, you see, I, I, I would like to see the day that as a visitor, you walk in here and you say, Man, this place is different. These people are at peace. There, there's hope. I can sense hope here. I, I, I can sense another presence. There is something different. I can, I can see something radiating from these people. And it's the resurrection power of God. And, and that resurrection power, so that when we pray, like Mandy suggested we pray this morning, it is life-changing because it's God's resurrection power. In Romans 8.29, Paul wrote, conforming to the likeness of Jesus. And in Philippians 3.10, he said, becoming like him. We need to conform to his likeness and become like him, like Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians, transformed into his likeness. So that's a process, isn't it? It's not just, boom, I'm born again, I'm sorted. It's done. It is an ongoing process. And so the first two are about being and becoming. But the third clause is about doing. You see, doing flows from being. I, I, I took long writing this. This is a good one. <laughs> doing flows from being and is the evidence of becoming. So the third clause was part of Jesus' purpose and is part of the Holy Spirit's purpose. And it certainly was part of Paul's purpose. The third clause is to help others to know him. To help others to know him. You see, to know Jesus to become like him and to help others to do likewise is what our purpose is. For some, this purpose seems just too simple. You, 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 you know, it's <clears throat> when Christianity is, is so simple, we think it's not complicated enough. If I want to become a doctor, look what I have to do. 
If I want to become a, uh, a surgeon, I have to do even more than I had to do as a doctor. So there's all these things you have to do to become. But yeah, we want to become a follower of Christ. And he says, no, <laughs> this is easy. Just know me. Just introduce me to others. So we think, now nah, it's too simple. But it's not. It is true that this is of great practical value. There can be, is there, can there be anything for a person to aspire to that's more worthy than being like Jesus? Is there? Is there anything in the world that's more valuable to others than you being Christ-like? I remember, uh, and I think I've told this story before, that we were taking a carload of food from Durban up uh, into Zululand uh, for a, a village there that had been affected by floods. And, um, and our church had collected all the stuff, so we got a trailer full, and the back of the, the SUV is full of stuff, and we're driving up, and it's raining and raining and raining and raining. And we're talking about what do we do when we get to this village? We don't just want to hand over food. We want, we want to give them a gift that will last much longer than the food will. We'd like to introduce them to Jesus. And so we're debating and discussing how we can go about telling them about Jesus when we get there with all this food. And so we're debating in this car, driving up, and there's a hitchhiker. So we pulled over, because it's bucketing down with rain, and we, we say, where are you going? We tell him where we're going. He says, that's great, and he hops in. And we say, well, I hope you don't mind, but we, we're debating this topic. Um, feel free to join in. And as we're talking about how do we introduce Jesus to a village, and are we encroaching on their rights? Are we allowed? Is it politically correct to tell them about Jesus before they get the food? And we do it after they get food? Or how do we do this? And we're talking about... And this guy gets into the whole discussion. And he starts giving us his views. No, oh, you need to tell them about Jesus. This is an opportunity. On the one hand, we gi we're giving you something practical, we're giving you food, but with this hand, we're giving you life everlasting. This is, this is something really good. You need to tell them this is the good news. You come to bring them the good news. And so we were really encouraged by this guy, and a little while later, we turned around to say, where did you need to get off? And there's no one in the car. Now, I know that's going to scare you, because it sure as hell scared us. I promise you. And we stopped the car because it really was an experience that shook us to the core. But in my heart of hearts, I know that God's message came to us as to what we had to do when we got to that village. And I think that's how you know Jesus. That wasn't just an encounter. That was a God encounter. Was it different in that village? For sure. 
I've got to tell you that you could have asked me to walk over one of those water puddles and I wouldn't. I could have walked on water because my faith was bubbling. It was flowing over me. I prayed for more people than I can think of and I was expecting God to do all kinds of incredible miracles. I was expecting it because I had experienced something supernaturally wonderful on the drive up. Whoever claims to live like him must walk as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must walk like Jesus did. That's not going to be easy. And that's why, and God knew it's not going to be easy. He, he'd struggled with Israel for years to just do one thing right. And they still haven't. They truly still don't get it. And so he knew. God knew. So he said, well, I'll tell you what. Since you can't do anything right, I'm going to send my son Jesus. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to become the sacrificial lamb. He's going to take on all your sins so that you and I can have a personal relationship, an intimate personal relationship. And you know what? You're still going to fail at that. So do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the third part of the triune God to empower you to do it right. And so we have to have God's anointing in our lives daily if we want to live this. And so I would encourage you, when you wake up, first thing you do, Holy Spirit, fill me again today. Lord Jesus, anoint me today like you did before. In fact, do so more than you ever have before. May your anointing on me this morning be more than you've anointed me every day of my life since I gave my life to you. So that, so that you can walk out there and see life differently. Purpose is important. Over the centuries, over the centuries, philosophers have told us there's three big questions that we all need to deal with. Where do I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? And to be honest, the last one, if you're a Christian, is an easy one, right? We're going to be with Jesus. The last one. But the second one is, why am I here? That demands a response now. That, that's about the yeah and the now. And why am I on earth? In, in French, it's called raison d'être, the reason for being. And surely you've heard the debate of why am I here? Why am I on earth? And tragically, many, if not most, people cannot answer that question. And as a result, they live their lives without any satisfying purpose and often with an underlying sense of hopelessness. The group most affected by this is the very youth who should be looking with bright and expectant eyes at the future. It's not hard to figure out why suicide 
has become a pandemic amongst young people. There's often no prospect of jobs, job insecurity, I don't know what I'm going to do, no idea of a career choice. Uh, parents are struggling because of the high interest rates and cost of living, and so there's not enough income coming into the household. Um, having, been, having to be separated from your friends that you've been with every day for ages. There, there, there are a lot of things impacting kids today. And so suicide has become a pandemic because there's no hope. And on this next slide, I, I, I researched this and put it on there, but almost one in four young people in Australia are dying by suicide amongst the indigenous of our country. For every youth suicide, there are 100 to 200 suicide attempts. And interestingly, you can't see it on that side, but on that lovely uh, <coughs> category of gay and pluses and pluses and minuses and all of those interesting people, the suicide rate is the highest. Do you know why? Because they haven't found that person, Jesus. Many answer the question, why am I here with nothing worthwhile? Nothing worthwhile. I just wonder how many teens or others would respond negatively to that question if they could grasp the overall purpose of knowing Jesus, of living a life that reflects Jesus, becoming like him and telling others about him. Surely those youngsters will have something to live for, to invest their lives into for the future. And once they've understood and accepted this, it'll be easy for them to see their purpose in any of life's situations. Paul wrote in Romans 8.28, we know that all things God, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So whose purpose have you been called? His purpose. Purpose is very important. In fact, I think it's critically important. And so let me read you this. And I might just unpack it a little bit. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into the likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him 
and who have been called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? For someone who's not born again, this is nonsense. <laughs> if you haven't been born again, there is nothing in there. Because why would you believe that you are conforming to the likeness of who Jesus is? Why would you believe in resurrection if you don't believe in the person who was resurrected? You know, there's not another faith in the world that has a resurrected God who was a sacrificial lamb, who was all God and became all man just so that you and I could have a relationship with our Father. Isn't that nuts? We're the only guys. We're, we're really a privileged few. So if you encounter someone who's feeling hopeless or even suicidal, then the question you should be asking is, are you spiritually born again into a relationship with Jesus Christ that gives you purpose? It's not a difficult question. I know a lot of people I've spoken to, even in our small group from time to time, we've discussed how difficult it is to share a testimony, to talk about your faith. I don't know what to tell him. I'm not qualified. Of course you qualify. Do you know Jesus? Of course. Then you qualify. Are you able to talk about your experience? You qualify. Are you able to tell others about the God you serve or why you serve him? You qualify. I, 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 I don't know how you can say I'm not qualified. Who qualified the disciples? They were fishermen. They, they knew zip. What qualified them was God's anointing and the fact that they knew Jesus. And that's what qualifies you and qualifies me. There's a man in Esperance. The whole town knows this man. No one knows where he sleeps, but he clearly doesn't have a house. And he walks with a, like a, a, a deer skin, maybe kangaroo skin coat. He's got heavy boots, no socks, short pants. But everybody in town calls him feathers. Because every time he finds a feather, he sticks it somewhere on his being. So you've got this feather thing walking around town. And you, you can walk into any shop and say, what's that guy's name? Feathers. Remember, what's his name? Feathers. But everyone calls him Feathers. Everyone knows him. They find him. He walks from one end of town to the other end of town every single day. Don't know what he does. When you ask who feeds him, don't know. Where does he sleep? Don't know. And I think to myself, right here in our midst, is someone who, who has needs, for sure. <laughs> Clothes would be useful. A sleeping bag would be perfect. Even a, a whole bag of feathers. But no one does anything because we feel ill-equipped. Because we feel we can't. I 
we lived in Esperance for five months, and until maybe two weeks ago, we were never invited to anyone's home. In a church community of Christians that recognize you and hug you when you come in, never got invited to anybody. And the Bible tells me to do something different, to show hospitality. Paul encourages us to show hospitality. And so I'm just wondering if we as a church are living up to knowing Jesus, conforming to being like Jesus, and practicing being like him in the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Because I think, I think the church needs to be something that is attractive to non-believers. I think, why do you think Jesus said, well, to you I'm going to give a gift of prophecy, to you I'm going to give a gift of healing, to you a gift of preaching. And he gave us each different gifts. Do you know why? So that we could work as one body. So that not one person said, well, I'm a healer, so I'm a very important fella, because when I pray for people, they get healed. So that's all I do. And I need a special seat and a special car park. And others say, well, I'm a prophet, so this is really important because I'm bringing you a prophetic message straight from the throne room of God. And so I need two car parks and a row of seats. And although I'm being facetious, the truth is that's why God spreads it around. And that's why he calls it a gift, because you don't necessarily have the same gift every time. He only gives you the gift you need for that occasion. And every time we fail to exercise that gift, we fail to raise Jesus up as the healer, the saviour, and the king of all kings to the person that we're with. It's a calamity. I've said to uh, our small group on many occasions that isn't it funny that you believe you're coming to church to meet with Jesus and you get here late. <laughs> I don't get it. Really, if we absolutely knew that next Sunday in communion, Jesus is going to be here, would you queue? I bet you you'd queue. I bet you you'd care. We, we actually take Christianity quite lightly. We, we, we actually take Christianity on our terms. I think a lot of our actions do not conform to the message of Jesus that we read about here. And so I'm not nailing you because that's the Holy Spirit's job. So if you feel like I am, I ask your forgiveness right now because that's not the purpose. I, the purpose is to encourage you to draw closer into him so that you do know him. And so that you know this is an opportunity to speak Jesus into this person's life because it's going to change them forever. I, I, I want to encourage you to expect the resurrection power of Jesus to be evident in your life on a daily basis. I want to encourage you to do that. 
to expect it. Our lives will change, I promise you. Not because of us, but because of the Holy Spirit. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are. 